joining us for the latest message at Island Church. just going to bring you guys a quick word tonight. Um, you know, we have journeyed through three weeks of teaching, when I've been here at least, on um, the truth about unity. And uh, just to kind of close that out and finish it up, tie it up for us, um, we're going to come at it from a different angle tonight, you know, where we have looked at it from what is unity, how to be in unity, what does the Bible say about unity? Tonight we're going to come at it from the direction of division. Okay? Um, so who knows in here we can learn a lot, a lot of times by those things that are in opposition to what we're learning about. The opposite. We can learn what not to do as well as what to do. We learn a lot from that. So we've seen that, you know, from the beginning humans were created to be in unity with God. Um, as the fathers in unity with the Son and with the Holy Spirit, that's what we're made for. You know, He is in perfect unity. The Trinity is in perfect unity. And, you know, He created us to be brought into that. So when we were studying unity, we studied, you know, the most important thing is to be in union with Christ, to be in Him, to be settled in that identity. And then we went into what it is to be in unity in the body of Christ, like as you are in him, we're all in him together. So that is a challenge at times. Um, we mostly focused our study in Ephesians, uh, you know, but there's many other scriptures that, that you can pull from for unity. Um, and we're going to find several tonight on division. But, you know, just remember that the importance of truth and speaking the truth in love were foundations for unity. So when we're talking about division, there's several words in the New Testament that are translated as division. We'll look at them as we're going through. Um, there's a lot of words that are even kind of uh, indirectly talking about division, such as dissension, discord, strife, arguments, quarrels, envy, false teaching, you know, all of these things that have to do with division um, and are linked to it. So basically division just means a separation. It means a break in unity. So we're called as the body of Christ to be unified, to be fitly joined together in him when something or someone opposes this oneness that is in truth. It's division. So God's perfect truth, it's the glue that holds our unity together. We're unified on a foundation of his truth and we speak his truth in love in order to maintain that unity. And like we've talked about, there are times when believers, we as believers, we cannot agree or walk with those who are out of line with the truth. Um, and there's a difference there. There's, you know, the negative division that we're going to talk about tonight, but there's also uh, what we call sanctification or being set apart. And so even Jesus prayed in John 17, 16 and 17, they are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. Sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. You know, that's what Jesus prayed out over us. 
So we make that distinction that being sanctified and set apart from things like ongoing sin, the corruption of the world, compromise, delusion, all of these things are not the kind of division we're talking about tonight. That's being sanctified. Because um, there can be no unity outside of God's truth, his word, his boundaries. Division is impure because it does not embrace the truth, uh, but rather it tries to mix it or dilute it and separate believers from it. Okay, So we are going to dive in tonight to some scriptures about division, and we're going to start with the most in-depth description of the body of Christ, and that is found in 1 Corinthians chapter 12. So 1 Corinthians chapter 12, I'm going to start in verse 12, and I'm going to read all the way through to verse 27, and then we'll come back to a couple of key points. But it says, For just as the body is one and has many members, and all the members of the body, though many, are one body, so it is with Christ. For in one spirit we were all baptized into one body, Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, All were made to drink of one spirit. For the one body does not consist of one member, but of many. If the foot should say, because I'm not a hand, I do not belong to the body. That would not make it any less part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I'm not an eye, I do not belong to the body. That would not make it any less a part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would be the sense of hearing? If the whole body were an ear... Where would be the sense of smell? But as it is, God arranged the members in the body, each one of them as he chose. So let's keep that in mind as he chose. (laughs) If all were a single member, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, yet one body. The eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you. Nor, again, the head to the foot, I have no need of you. On the contrary, the parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. And on those parts of the body that we think less honorable, we bestow the greater honor. And our unpresentable parts are treated with greater modesty, which our more presentable parts do not require. But God has so composed the body, giving greater honor to the part that lacked it, that there may be no division in the body, but that the members may have the same care for one another. If one member suffers, all suffer together. If one member is honored, all rejoice together. Now you are the body of Christ and individually members of it. So we see this overall impression of the human body and the way it functions with all the parts connected and working together. There are no parts that aren't important. There's no room for competition, comparison, or envy to get in the way of the body functioning properly. Every part is unique and has different purpose but they cannot function without being connected and relying on each other. Every part is valuable and necessary in its own, in its own way. Now, verse 25 kind of gets down to our point today, which points out that there is to be no division in the body. The word here for division is a Greek word that means a tear or a split, as in a garment. So this gives us a powerful illustration as we think about something that was once knit together like a garment, being torn apart. What was once functional as a whole has been divided and can no longer function in the same way. 
This is the first of several words translated as division that we'll see tonight. The rest of the verse instructs us, but rather that all members have the same care, the same deep concern and desire to watch out for one another. This means not showing favoritism or having concern for one person, but not for another. As verse 26 points out, if one suffers, we all suffer. If one is all honored, we all rejoice. If one part of our physical body hurts, it affects everything. It's not just that one part. That pain needs healing, and the whole body should be looking for that part that's hurt to get delivered and healed. So we care for one another in that way, desiring that anyone who is hurt gets healed, doing our part to make sure that there's an opportunity. Anything we can do to give people an opportunity to get healed of any hurt, any kind of hurt, that's part of being the body. That's showing care for one another. We don't rejoice when others suffer. We rejoice when they are honored. When they receive recognition for something good and valuable, um, this should be our response to people in the body getting promoted or recognized, even if it's not us. You know, even when it's somebody else, our response should be to rejoice with them. You know, it's simple, um, but it's a, it's a guard against one of the most dangerous causes of division in the body, which we're going to talk a lot about tonight, and it's envy. So we'll see more about this as we continue into more scriptures. So we're going to turn a few pages back in the same letter in 1 Corinthians and go over to chapter 1. And we're going to read verses 10 through 13. It says, I appeal to you, brothers, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that all of you agree and that there be no divisions among you but that you be united in the same mind and the same judgment. For it has been reported to me by Chloe's people that there is quarreling among you, my brothers. What I mean is that each one of you says, I follow Paul, or I follow Apollos, or I follow Cephas, or I follow Christ. Is Christ divided? Was Paul crucified for you? Or were you baptized in the name of Paul? So here we see these verses start with this imploring tone of an appeal. To the brothers and sisters in the body, in the name of Jesus, that all of us, what? That we agree. This word for agree is auto. It can mean to be as one or the same. So we're asked to be as one in agreement with no divisions among us. Instead, we should be united in one mind and one judgment. For us to be in the same mind, that's the same thoughts, the same understanding, the same reasoning. We're going to have to be constantly consuming the same word, feeding on the same word. We all have the same word of God. So this is what unites us. It's his truth. If we're all feeding on that, that's how we get into the same mind, to be in one mind. And then it says to be in one judgment. And that word for judgment carries the meaning of purpose and intention. If we have the purpose and intention of pleasing God, of walking in his ways, That's another thing that keeps us unified. We're told to be in the same mind and in the same judgment or purpose, okay? And I would say where the word is what unifies us in mind, intimacy with the Lord, intimacy with the Spirit of God is what unites us in our purpose, okay? It gives us a security in our purpose. Now, verse 11 reveals that Paul has been given reports of quarreling among people in the church, 
Quarreling is another word that can mean strife, contention, or wrangling. And this refused, uh, refers to people who are always looking for a fight, always easily offended, ready to stir up trouble and cause strife over it. Um, verse 12 gives us more detail that this kind of quarreling and strife they were dealing with was based upon who they followed. So they all had personal preferences for a particular leader, and they were establishing identity based on who they followed, based upon the person, the man that they followed. Verse 13 puts it in perspective, is Christ divided? You know, this gives us another definition, another word for divided here. It actually means to distribute into parts or portions. So can you imagine if we look at, is Christ divided up into portions? You know, can you imagine the church passing out parts of Jesus based upon your preference? Oh, here's Jesus for those of you who follow Pastor Ryan. And for those of you who follow Pastor Rusty, here's your portion of Jesus. You know, is Christ divided like that? Is he divided depending upon who we follow as a man? Of course not. It sounds ridiculous. You know, that's why Paul spelled it out like this, to show this is so childish and ridiculous, you know. Um, And he goes on to say, was Paul crucified for you? Were you baptized in his name? Of course not. This is where we have to keep our eyes on the main thing. We have to focus on Jesus because he's the only one capable of saving us. Not Paul, not Apollos, not Cephas, not anyone, just Christ. He's the one. So we're united in Jesus as his body. Personal preferences of leaders should not be part of our identity. It is promoting competition and comparison of parts of the body that are meant to be seen as one. If we're all in Christ, we're all one. There would not be all this comparison if we really saw it that way. We are not truly discerning the body when we start comparing between and identifying with certain parts. You know, it's like saying, I'm a finger person. You know, I, I like this finger. And that's, that makes me really good because I like this finger. You, you only like the knee. You know, I don't think you're as good because you only like knees. I mean, how silly, you know, that's the reality of what's going on here. Um, and the subject, it was so heavy on Paul's heart that he had to bring it up again in the same letter. So if you just turn over a page or two in your Bible to chapter three, I'm going to read verses one through nine. He says, but I, brothers, I could not address you as spiritual people, but as people of the flesh, as infants in Christ, I fed you with milk not solid food, for you were not ready for it. Even now you're not yet ready, for you are still of the flesh. For while there is jealousy and strife among you, are you not of the flesh and behaving only in a human way? For when one says, I follow Paul, and another, I follow Paulus, are you not being merely human? What then is Apollos? What is Paul? Servants through whom you believed, as the Lord assigned to each. I planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the growth. So neither he who plants nor he who waters is anything, but only God who gives the growth. He who plants and he who waters are one, and each will receive his wages according to his labor. For we are God's fellow workers. You are God's fields, God's building. Okay, so we get even more information here as he comes back to the subject 
And there's this reaffirming of the futility of finding our identity in humans. By doing this, it says we're being carnal, we're being babyish and immature, and we're not ready to, to move beyond basic teaching when we show our lack of spiritual growth through things like strife and envy. We will continue seeing these two attributes throughout all the verses we go through. I think they're obviously a big factor in division, and we're going to have to take them seriously. Um, Holy Spirit is pointing these things out to Paul to correct the church and realign them into agreement or unity with God's word. Now, if Paul had left them in their carnal strife and envy with no correction, he wouldn't have been walking in love. You know, we've been on this subject for a while. Um, Now, why is that? Because he would have ignored the truth in order to appease people and try to make them feel good about their problems. As we know, that's not love. Remember, love rejoices in truth. That's what the word of God says. We speak the truth in love to maintain unity. So there were obviously arguments going on about who was better because of what man they followed. Now, let's take for example, if I think I'm better than Claire over here because I identify with listening to Kenneth Hagin teaching while Claire listens to Rick Renner and I consider Rick Renner to be inferior. So (laughs) when I act that way, I am being carnal, babyish, and divisive. It's rooted in pride. If I need to prove that I'm better than you based upon the person I follow or listen to, then I am insecure and I am full of pride. That's what the the root of the issue is. And the fact of the matter is my life doesn't look anything like Kenneth Hagin's life, so why am I bragging about being his follower? (laughs) We can look up to, we can honor, we can learn from men and women of God, but they are not who we identify with. They're not our identity. The same is true nowadays. Uh, A lot of times we see it with people uh, going to certain Bible schools or schools of ministry. You know, Ray McGrath should not be dividing themselves from ministers who were led to go to a different school or who were trained up by their pastor instead of going to a school. That is not our identity either. You know, that does not give you God's stamp of approval that says you're better than everybody else because you went to Rhema. Mm-hmm. You know, <laughs> sorry, <laughs> but it doesn't. So we're going to have to grow up. You know, we're going to have to grow past these carnal babyish things and be satisfied with who God made us to be. Focused on Jesus as the one we follow and identify with full stop. He's all. So we're going to now go just couple more pages backwards to Romans chapter 16. And this is going to give us some practical instructions for dealing with division. Now, I have to say, I wasn't really, I didn't know everything I was going to find as I dug into the subject on division. And some of it was, well, it was kind of harsh, you know, and we're going to find that out in these next couple of verses we study. But what I find is that, you know, when things seem uncomfortable to me, (laughs) they're in the word of God. This is God's word. You know, if it makes me uncomfortable, then that's something wrong with me, not wrong with his word. (laughs) So I just want us to, to dive into these things and not let, you know, the way that it makes us feel or the way that we think it might make somebody else feel stop us from embracing everything God's word says. Um, So we're here in in Romans chapter 16. I'm going to read verses 17 and 18. Once again, I appeal to you, brothers, 
to watch out for those who cause divisions and create obstacles contrary to the doctrine that you have been taught. Avoid them. For such persons do not serve our Lord Christ, but their own appetites. And by smooth talk and flattery, they deceive the hearts of the naive. Now, in the verses leading up to this verse, there's a long list of all of the brothers and sisters in Christ who are unified, doing the work of the Lord alongside Paul, and he instructs them, greet these people. You know, these are your brothers and sisters. We're all in unity. Greet these people. But then verse 17 begins this sober appeal, another beseeching to pay attention. Watch out. Be aware. Keep your eye on who? on those who cause divisions, um, causing divisions. That could be said as those who manufacture reasons to stand separately. There we have another um, way division is translated, to stand separately. So people who manufacture reasons to stand separately and do what? They create obstacles. They set you up for the trap of offense. It is literally talking about setting a trap to make somebody stumble. That's, that's what the word means. So these dividers do these things contrary or in opposition to the doctrine that you have been taught. They are not sticking to the truth that was laid out as a foundation by the teaching of the apostles. It means they're either adding to it or they're taken away from it. They're mixing or diluting its purity uh, for the purpose of dividing and offending the body of Christ. So we're told what to do. Avoid them. Now, that's a strong word, actually. It means to exclude, to fully avoid by deliberate, decisive rejection, to turn away from. So we cannot be in in agreement with those who are trying to participate in the body while at the same time dividing and offending the body. There's something not right there. If that's somebody's in the body, but as they're in here, they're trying purposefully to divide and, and cause strife and division. Um... So there has to be a confrontation there. Truth has to confront the situation. And as the truth is spoken in love, it gives the opportunity for repentance, you know, for the person to turn and come into agreement with what the word says in the truth or to continue the way they're going, you know, and be separate from the body. And it sounds harsh, but what it does is it preserves and it protects the unity of the body, which is important to God. We see in verse 18 that these dividers are so wrapped up in the drama of causing division and offense that they are no longer serving the Lord, but rather they are serving their own appetites. This shows us that when there's people causing division, it's completely selfish. It's not about what pleases Jesus or is good for his body. It's about what pleases this person. It's their own appetite. They're feeding their own appetite. They thrive on strife. They thrive on drama. Okay. And that's, that's not a good sign. Um, now the way that it comes through, it's not blatant or obvious methods here. It says it's with smooth talk or nice words and flattery, false praise for the purpose of gain. These sly methods are deceiving the hearts of who? Of the naive or the unsuspecting. Satan always goes after the easiest targets. He is working through these people in the body to deceive the parts of the body who are currently ignorant, like a baby Christian, or who lack discernment. 
So this is where we should have that care or concern for one another, speak in the truth and love to keep these naive and unsuspecting ones out of the snares of the enemy. You know, those of us who are more mature and see it, that's part of being, you know, caring and concerning and helping to protect the body. Um, now we're going to be given confirmation and dealing with division in Titus. So if you want to turn over to Titus chapter 3. And I'm going to be verse 9 to 11. It says, but avoid foolish controversies, genealogies, dissensions, and quarrels about the law, for they are unprofitable and worthless. As for a person who stirs up division, after warning him once and then twice, have nothing more to do with him. Knowing that such a person is warped and sinful, he is self-condemned. So first here, we are warned about some very specific behaviors that cause division. And we don't want to get wrapped up in any of those behaviors ourselves, right? So uh, those behaviors are um, avoid. It means position yourself in a way that completely avoids contact with, uh, number one, with foolish controversies. The word for foolish is literally the word that we get more on from. So <laughs> it means stupid controversies or debates. <laughs> Do not get involved in them. Um, it says avoid number two, genealogies, which means the making of a pedigree. Now there's a couple of ways that people could get involved in this and some of it could be arguing about biblical genealogies and you know what's correct and what's not. But there's also <clears throat> another feeling of that is trying to make yourself feel superior, someone else feel inferior based upon who your ancestors are. Okay, that's your genealogy and arguing about who's better because of their genealogy. Um, thank God the kingdom of God is not a class system. So uh, our value is all equal and we have the perfect kingdom with the perfect identity for its systems. citizens. Like if you had an identity card in the kingdom of God, it would all say Jesus because you're all part of him. You're all one with him. So that just settles anything that's... <laughs> out of order that says someone's inferior to someone else. It's not true. Avoid number three, dissensions. This is once again strife and affection for dispute. Um, number four to avoid is quarrels. Now this time this means battles or conflicts about the law, about the old covenant regulations. Why do we avoid all these things? It says because they are completely unprofitable, worthless, and use useless. They don't produce anything good, so don't allow yourself to get pulled into them because that's what they are. They're a snare. They're trying to pull you in to waste your time, to waste other people's time, to get people arguing about things that do not matter. Now, verse 10 specifies the person who stirs up division. It's also called a factious person. And this is uh, defined as someone who specializes in half-truths and misimpressions to win others over to their personal opinion while creating harmful divisions. So this definition shows us a motive that is often involved in division, which is drawing people to ourselves to feel important. So that, you know, as we draw people to ourselves, people have, there's a tendency, you know, you have to have a different opinion or teaching because it has to be different from 
the oneness of being in Christ. It has to be different from the truth. Okay, so you're going to, that's, you know, people are trying to pull you away from being in agreement as the body and pull you into some great opinion they have and want to pull you to themselves. You know, look at me. I have this great knowledge, this great revelation. Come over here with me. You know, um, it says that uh, we are to reject or have nothing more to do with these people after they've been warned a first and second time. Once again, correction comes through speaking the truth in love. There has to be an action to deal with the stirring up of division. So there's first a warning, give time to repent. If they're continuing in the same behavior, they get warned again, given another chance. Finally, if after two warnings there's no change, then it says have nothing to do with them. Now, God's desire is not for anyone to have to be avoided. That's not what he wants. <laughs> you know, but that's why he gives us chances and he allows us to repent and change our way of thinking. But he also always protects what belongs to him. Okay, so when you have this precious body who is in unity and someone's trying to come in and divide those people up and separate them, you're going to get given chances, but eventually you're not going to be able to have anything to do with a person like that because it's that serious to God. You know, that's what we need to understand when we see things like this in the Word of God. It is that valuable to Him that, you know, He would say, don't have anything to do with this sort of person. Um, and that's not the heart of God, you know. He doesn't, he doesn't want that. Um, in any correction, though, you know, there, it takes humility and it takes teachable spirit. So we have to yield ourselves to the truth by admitting that we're wrong and changing. It's not easy, but it's the same process for everyone. Like, n no one's exempt. So we all have to go through the, those things where we're corrected. We have to admit that we were wrong and do, you know, do something to change it. It's just part of growing up, and it's part of growing up spiritually. Um, so verse 11 describes this person who's been warned and not changed as someone who is warped, literally turned inside out or perverted would be another word for that. Um, it says they're also sinful, they're missing the mark, and they're self-condemned. So this person is so far gone that perhaps the avoidance of the body will have its desired effect of waking them up. You know, there's another scripture in 1 Corinthians where we're told about the man who was um, sleeping with his stepmother and that the church, you know, should put him out, should not have anything to do with him. But what it did is it did create an opportunity for this man to get woken up, to come to his senses, to realize, what am I doing you know, and so that is always the, the desired effect of, you know, not having anything to do with somebody. So finally, we are going to finish tonight's teaching with some wisdom from the book of James. Okay, so this is our last portion of scripture here. Um, the end of James chapter 3 going into chapter 4. And I am going to start in verse 13. It says, Who is wise and understanding among you? By his good conduct, let him show his works in the meekness of wisdom. But if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast and be false to the truth. 
This is not the wisdom that comes down from above, but is earthly and spiritual, demonic. For where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there will be disorder in every vile practice. But the wisdom from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, open to reason, full of mercy and good fruits, impartial and sincere. And a harvest of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. So here we see a contrast between different fruit that flows from different wisdom sources. The wisdom we follow or partake of produces conduct in our lives. It's either conduct that's going to flow into unity or it's conduct that's going to flow into division. Um, There are two attributes that are shown to flow from this earthly and spiritual demonic wisdom. It's bitter jealousy and it's selfish ambition. So jealousy is identified as bitter to distinguish it from where the word can mean a positive thing, a zeal or a jealousy like God has for his people. But this is a bitter one. It's, it's envy. It's not a good one. Um, envy is dangerous and it wrongly desires what someone else has or is. Uh, this kind of envy thinks that it deserves what someone has and de- desires for that person to lose it or hand it over to them. Okay, so selfish ambition, on the other hand, is rivalry or competition to gain followers or position. We see this motive again of wanting people to recognize our importance and follow us rather than leading them to Jesus and allowing them to, to put their admiration and their awe onto him rather than ourselves. So the verse instructs that if we see these attributes in ourselves, we shouldn't be boasting or phony, trying to hide it. It means that boasting and being fake would be natural responses where there is envy and selfish ambition. Okay, when those things are in us, you're going to try to cover it up by boasting, by being fake and phony. Okay, and it says that when these things are uh, at work in our lives, they will produce disorder, things that are unstable and out of control. And they'll produce every vile practice, every wicked or evil deed. That should be a stark enough warning, I'd say, to stay out of envy and selfish ambition, to keep it out of the body, as we see how destructive and dangerous that is. Um, There will not be agreement or unity when these things are present. And if we contrast it with verse 17, the fruit of God's wisdom that brings unity, it's completely opposite. It's pure, it's peaceable, it's gentle. Open to reason, is ready to obey, full of mercy and good fruits, impartial and sincere, not phony, okay, not fake. So if we go then to chapter 4, verse 1, it says, What causes quarrels and what causes fights among you? Is it not this, that your passions are at war within you? You desire and you do not have, so you murder. You covet and cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. You do not have because you do not ask. You do not ask and, or you ask and do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your own passions. Okay, so here we get to the heart of it. What causes quarrels, fights, divisions among God's people? The passions or the pleasures of life, the lusts of life, these are physical, um, that are warring for attention on our bodies. Now, I'm going to read it from the Passion Translation because I think it puts it so well. It explains it so well. It says, Doesn't the battle begin inside of you as you fight to have your own way and fulfill your own desires? 
You jealously want what others have, so you begin to see yourself as better than others. You scheme with envy and harm others to selfishly obtain what you crave. That's why you quarrel and fight. And all the time you don't obtain what you want because you won't ask God for it. And if you ask, you won't receive it because you're asking with corrupt motives, seeking only to fulfill your own selfish desires. So it really does all come down to motives, to the intentions of our hearts, wanting his way more than our way is where we're going to have to get to. To be truly in unity as the body of Christ, we'll have to yield our motives to him. We're going to have to trust him with our place and position in the body. Remember, it says he puts us there. He's the one. He chooses where you go in the body, where you fit. He knows everything about you. And he put everything, every gift, every strength in you. He knows where you fit, but you're going to have to trust him with it. We're going to have to stop comparing and competing and just look to please him. He really does have good plans and intentions for us, but do we believe him? Or are we trying to be in control and be what we selfishly want to be for our own glory? Are we fearful that just being his won't be enough? Laying down our lives means being satisfied to identify as his slave by choice, his bond slave, just like all the apostles did. To let go of caring what people think or what we think we deserve and just be his. Belonging to him and allowing that identity to be our security will keep us out of insecurity. That insecurity breeds envy, competition, and selfishness, which are all the enemies of unity. They all bring about division. Okay, so that is all of the scripture we're going to go through tonight. And, you know, I think it is going to bring us into um, Romans chapter 12, uh, some of those grace gifts to the church and, and, you know, how we are not to think of ourselves more highly than we ought to think. Um, but to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith God has assigned. So I think that's where we're going to go to next time I get the opportunity to teach, which I think is going to be a Sunday. So um, I'm excited to get into that, but, you know, I'm just thankful for everything God's revealed to us because we're a very new church and he's, he wants us to be in unity. You know, he wants us to be aware and vigilant and looking out for these symptoms of division even. You know, we, we need to first and foremost be looking in ourselves, you know, and, and just doing a regular self-check on ourselves and, and learning how to be honest. You know, when we get into the presence of God, into the secret place, into intimate places with him, that's where we can safely, safely open up, bear our souls allow the Lord to shine his light onto things and show us, you know, sometimes when the light shines on something ugly, we just want to shut the door and run, you know, like, oh, don't show me that. I don't want to deal with that, you know, but the more time we spend in the secret place, the more intimate we get with him. It's so such a safe place, such a safe place to just be able to see those things that are ugly and <laughs> see those things that could rise up and cause problems if we don't allow them to be dealt with and healed and do something about them, you know, because that's every time I've seen 
people rising up to cause strife or division, people who were operating in envy and things. You know, so many times it was due to unhealed hurts. It was due to things that happened in their life and they stayed in victimhood of it and they never got healed from it. And so it became their identity. And we just don't want that to happen here to any of us. You know, God has so much more and he can bring us such so so much further as a body. You know, we can accomplish so much more in the kingdom for him if we will be a healthy body, if we will deal with anything in us that's not healthy. So let's just pray and we'll dismiss. Father God, we just thank you and praise you for your beautiful word. Thank you for every part of your word, Lord, everything you teach us. Oh, it's so good, so helpful. It just, it goes into the depths of us, Lord, and it, just like your word says, it, it's sharper than any two-edged sword, two-mouthed sword. It divides between the soul and the spirit. So we just thank you, Father God, that we leave out of here not forgetting the things you've brought up to us, but, you know, truly going home and saying, look, Lord, I, I don't ever want to be a divisive person in the church. I, I want to stay in unity with my brothers and sisters, so... You know, just show me if anything's ever rising up that would cause that. And Lord, just just let us have sincere hearts towards you that are um, looking to please you above everything, not looking to be in competition, not looking to compare, but looking to be content just to belong to you, knowing that belonging to you, no matter what position we're in in the body, no matter what we have to do, if we belong to you, that is enough. Oh, it's enough that that is settled in us and that we have that security. Thank you, Father God, for delivering us out of insecurity, for delivering us out of fear, for settling us in your love that casts out fear, your perfect love. Thank you, Father God. We love you. We glorify you. We magnify you. It's in your mighty name we pray, Jesus. Amen. so glad you could join us for our latest message. We are located in the city at 76 Strand Road and we would love for you to call in and join us. Details are on our website at islandchurch.co.uk.